know how much I fucking hate being late. I hate being late. I think it's, I don't even like using that word. So I use this software called Riverside FM. And good morning. Hi. Shouldn't start off negative, right? Too late. 8.01 a.m. We're supposed to go live at 8 a.m. I use this software called Riverside FM. And basically, I do the show on Riverside FM, and then it somehow humps YouTube. You kind of have to punch in some numbers, URLs, and passwords, and then they kind of connect. And then it goes live, but it's just, there's all, it, it always seems like there's one or two hiccups that just occur every single day and they're stupid. They're human errors. It's not, I don't think it's Riverside's fault or YouTube's fault. I know it's not, but anyway, uh, here we go. The thing is, is podcast doesn't make, it's not a job. Hi, Eddie. Hey, Svon. How are you? And so... I don't know how you make people care about shit. I guess if they had an audience staring at you while you did your performance, you'd care a lot because you'd feel that insane pressure. Sorry. Hi, Eddie. Hey, what's up? Fuck. I'm just being a baby this morning. Why? What's wrong? Do you ever wake up and you just feel, feel like you're being a baby? Lauren, do I ever wake up and act like I'm a baby? <laughs> I thought I heard someone say I have to poop. Was that? Did I hear that? <laughs> My wife just said every effing day. So the thing is this. There, I, I do this podcast, right? And I have these guests on that I wish I was. So that's the cool part about it. Oh, I am I am that part of you. By the way, kids making noise and during the middle of the podcast is perfectly acceptable on this podcast. Oh, it is? Farping, burning, burping kids, nudity messing up, having to go early, bad connection. It's all, it's all, that's all legit. Do you do it on your other podcast with your uh, CrossFit stars? Oh, it's even worse. That one's even worse. Uh, neither of them have children. No. Well, Josh does. Josh has two kids. Oh, oh I didn't know Josh has kids. Yeah, two kids. He spends a lot, and, and he, he's a single dad too, so he spends a lot of time like juggling that shit. Oh, jeez, I single father you always hear people talk about single mothers and yeah like it is what about the single fathers of this world because we're not built for it right like, like it nature to be and anyone listening that goes oh gender neutrality fuck dick. Off. We, are, <laughs> we are not built better at it women are much better at it and uh, how old are your kids I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. One of them, oh, okay. I, one of them I like. We're we're in the same. We're kind of in the same um, boat. I have a I have a six-year-old and two four-year-olds. Yeah. What's kind of cool though, you, I, I guess the two-year-old you still have to deal with a lot when they're four. Like I I woke when I started the podcast, I walked by like the playroom, and the four-year-olds are all, already doing their own shit, and okay. they'll be like playing with magnets for the next two hours. I'm stoked. I can't wait for that. I, <laughs> I miss this time, and I'm like, no, I won't. I will not miss out of diapers. And now <laughs> is six. And I love the age she's at. It's so much fun. She's awesome. The two year old. It's just it. It can be an absolute nightmare. 
Do you just want to just dig in? The car seat. What? What about car seat? Car seats are the worst. I'm going to, I'm researching statistics about car seats. I need to see a significant, a significant <laughs> like amount of uh, the, uh, life-changing evidence that uh, saved by car seats. If it's just like, you know, like a 0. 0.0006 difference, I'm, I'm going to go on a rampage and try to outlaw car seats. What if we found out stuff? What if people like actually cared and we found out stuff that like because of car seats, days, the number of days of lives that humans lose is 1000 for whatever reason, because they off gas and shorten your life because they fall off a shelf and kill someone. But what if you added up all the damage that car seats do, the pollution they cause to a river, and then you drink that water and it shortens your life by a hundred days. Let's say we figure out all the damage car seats did do, did, do, did. And we find out that they actually take away more days of lives than days of lives. They save, right? Let's say car seats save like 12 kids a year. But we find out it actually reduces the life expectancy of the totality of the planet by 300,000 days or something crazy. You know what I mean? Do we stop using car seats? Because I feel like a lot of the stupid shit we do on what? They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't. I know. No. You're right. No, because that's how we are. We never um, – we make laws. We never repeal laws. And I, I've, I've had this argument with – it's so far – someone that you probably won't know, but – Comedy world, it'd be really funny if I was talking about this. Uh, there was a girl that part of the comedy, kind of the comedy. She did a. She did a, a I hate her. I hate her already. I hate her already. The pod or her special was called Nanette, and you should okay. watch it. It's on Netflix. It was like the probably like of twenty eighteen. What year it came out? Twenty eighteen. It was the biggest special. Comedian. I actually like her a lot. I'm I'm friends with Gatsby. And I went on tour with her one year and we were in a van for two weeks together and we fought constantly. And one God, of God, I wish you would have said fucked constantly. This show could be so much better. <laughs> like, I'm glad you didn't. Uh <laughs> but there was this time now, uh, because and my argument was we were in New Zealand actually, but uh, but she's Australian, and I was saying that the Australian government was too strict about drunk driving, and for example, in like Queensland, they had breathalyzed, uh, they had done as many breathalyzed tests as there were people in uh, Brisbane or in wow, in like and in I, a one year period or something, or in a weekend. Yeah, in a, in a year period, and I said, you know, like let's say there's uh, four million people that live in that state in tests, and I said that's that's like I don't know, like totalitarianism or whatever it is to an auto, uh, they're autocrats or whatever the word is, authoritarianism. I don't know what it is, but I said it's just too much. I said I think drunk driving's wrong, but that's too much. And so I spouted off these that I read that you'd find interesting going back to our conversation about uh, the car seats, that drunk driving deaths had had gone down since Mothers Against Drunk Driving, who make all the laws against drunk driving, um, drunk driving deaths had gone down in the United States when they raised the age from uh, 18 to 21. 
the, the okay, drink. makes sense. Drunk driving deaths went down. Canada did not raise from 18 to 21. It stayed at 18, and their deaths proportionally uh, per capita went down the exact same amount. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it didn't have anything to do with drunk driving. It had to cars getting better. Ah, ah. Right. Yes. So the statistic yes. that they were using, this was Mothers Against Drunk Driving statistic. And I read somewhere, I could be wrong, but the woman that created Mothers Against Drunk Driving wanted to stop drunk driving. And she said a lot of these mothers that against drunk driving, which you can understand why, if I lost a child, and, um, but they want to end drinking altogether. Like they kind of went on a rampage and just started to pass laws and pass laws and pass laws. And <laughs> saying that it's hard as a congressman or a legislator to say no. She comes into you, wants to pass a law. We're going to put car seats in. We're going to ban this. We're going to do checkpoints. We're going to do this. We're going to do, but you don't. Whenever somebody goes too far, no one goes, hey, you know, we can, because you can't go up to this mother and say, you know, sorry, get rid of car seats. Um, uh, that being said, you look at right with with uh, Hannah. She's like, I've lost friends from drunk driving. And I'm like, we've all lost friends. You know, like, you know, that's like somebody going, I had cancer. And it's like, everybody gets cancer. And right. you can't. And her whole her whole about uh, being a victim and. The, you know, I really do hate her. Uh, you, you'll watch the special, and you will, <laughs> and it was so funny because she did. It's a deplorable it. mindset. It's a disease. It's it's worse than it's worse than fucking AIDS. It's worse. It's a disease. A, a victim mindset is a disease. You're you're a, you're 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 horrible. I like her, but I wanted. I'm to sorry, my Australia. I wanted to call it Manette. <laughs> yeah. Specials about men need to change. Men are terrible people, and uh, we, you know, uh, assault women and abuse women, and this and that. And I and I'm sitting there going, I don't do that. Why am I getting a lecture uh, for something? Because you've been in a situation where it's happened to you. You're yelling at all men right now. You're doing what? What is wrong? You're stereotyping. You're generalizing. You are putting us all in one category. It'd be like, you know, us saying that. You can do that if, if, if a penis is the criteria. Yeah. Other than that, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. So I think you would. Biology. I, that's your homework tonight. I really want you to go on Netflix and watch Nanette. And hey, you know, I think I've heard you talk about her before, and I went and looked her up, and I seriously, I think I had like a visceral reaction. You'll scream. Like I thought, oh, I'm going to break my TV. You'll scream. Yeah, I I thought you were gonna say it was the biggest flop of two thousand nineteen. It bums me out that you said it was good. She became the biggest star in Hollywood. I have never seen anybody go from uh, total. She had a pretty decent career in Australia already because the critics loved her. To and I think she's funny. Like when we used to do stand up together, she used to make me laugh. But then uh, her, it was a TED talk on like sexual assault and. Uh, Look, I'm not. I'm not here to be a proponent of sexual assault. I just speech. It was not a comedy special, and I think 
She won, you name it, she won it, and she became the biggest star in Hollywood. Um, is the, isn't it amazing? Well, it's amazing to me. I don't want to put words in your mouth that people who know how hard you have to work then would argue other people's limitations. Like people who've made it, made something of their lives and gotten somewhere, they know they know like there's nobody who knows better than lebron james about hard work and yet he argues the victim mindset as a legitimate mindset it, it, it's mind-boggling to me it, it i it, you know it creeps into my head even that there's a malicious intent like it's it's a way to keep people off the mountaintop now i don't really believe that i just think it's just being just 100 percent retarded not knowing how to think but you believed in yourself, but you don't believe in anybody else. Well, and see, it's, here's it's, where, it's, a de it's devastating to me. It's, here's it's, it's, where, here's, agree with you a little bit on that place. You can disagree a lot too. Um, I have this, I, I heard it on that. Uh, there's that new show on HBO called hacks and I just watched the trailer for it. And a woman, the woman's like a former or still is a, a big star in young comedy writer writing for her and the woman the comedy writer is like kind of this woke writer that said you know i've worked so hard to get where i am and blah 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 and she's like we all work like you know former like stark i mean it's like we all worked hard and i have this theory about hollywood you come out here go to karaoke night here and you will see Every single person is so fucking talented. I know that's scary. God, that's it's scary. So scary. I, I've never <laughs> forget the time I went to karaoke. And I'm like, oh my god, everyone here has an amazing voice, is amazing looking, theater and acting and this and that, and they're all incredibly talented. And beyond that, they all work really hard too. Like everyone yeah. I know works their ass off, and the one that makes it isn't the one that works harder than the rest. They had all of the parts of the equation. They had the talent, they had the hard work, and they also had the luck. And it's like a lottery. You know, there's only, you know, there's only so many Kevin Hart's in this world. And, and Dave, and they worked really hard to get where they are super fucking hard, but they also had some luck to get where they were. Cause I know guys that work just as hard as them, as them that have zero you know like the zero the notoriety that they have um do you want to go do you want let's go into this a little bit more i want to talk about what, what it means to work hard so i worked at a home for disabled adults i was homeless i walked in there barefoot i applied for the job i got the job and because i didn't have a place to live i was willing to work 100 hours a week right because then i could sleep there it was awesome so i started working my ass off there making seven dollars an hour and uh you know within like five months because i ate, knew how to eat out of dumpsters i was rich like in five months i had like ten thousand dollars cash saved in the bank i mean i was fucking rolling and um, i just kept working harder and harder and after five years of working there i worked every single christmas and every single christmas eve i never went home to see my parents i worked easter i worked all the holidays i took any shift anybody gave me i never took a vacation and after five years i was the lead of that house and i had 20 people working for me and i was making 21 dollars an hour then i was rich as fuck you don't under like if you're homeless and you're making 21 bucks an hour you are loaded and um, there's other people who thought that they were working hard, right? Mm -hmm. But they weren't. I mean, not not relative to me. They 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 
They went home on Christmas. They went home on Easter. They took their birthday off. And so I, I, I almost feel like there's levels there's levels to this game. And the same thing happened with me at CrossFit. I was not the best filmmaker there. I was not the best at anything there. But I never, ever, ever, ever took a day off. And I mean never, I mean never. 365 days, 24 hours a day, like – I, I, I agree with you. And I do see that like that, that when there are people that are complaining to me that I can't, and I say, you know, you, you aren't working hard enough. You know, they're like, I can't get, my dad always said that to me, you know, inner bitch. You know, I, I remember when I was doing stand up and I had things going on for a while in my career and then it kind of all went away. My dad said to me one day, he's like, uh, do, do, do you work 40 hours a week? And I said, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I go, I do shows every night and he goes, how long's your show? And I go, you know, sometimes I'll do seven shows in a night. And he goes, how long are your shows? And I go 20 minutes. And he's like, it's not 40 hours a week. And I was like, why well, write during the day? He's like, do you put in four? He goes, how can you expect to make anything like even a living? If you don't put in at least 40 hours, be successful you have to put in 80 hours a week and he was just like yeah like you need to remember that and you know i again i did run around and do seven to eleven shows every single like 11 a night in new york city i would go do and wait a sec 11 in a 24-hour period yeah 11 shows is my record i think the record overall was i think steve byrne did 14 in one night or greg geraldo um Probably what I think it's Geraldo Rivera. I think you said his name wrong. Geraldo didn't. Geraldo did many shows in Afghanistan. Wait. So how do you do eleven shows? How long is a show? Thirty show, minutes. Anywhere fifteen to twenty minutes. A spot. Okay. So let's say it's fifteen minutes. Holy sh! And then you have to wait while other people go, and then you go up again. You're just like on a bicycle. You just like. So what happens? And you'll say you'll call the clubs and give them your avails. There are at the time there were probably about ten clubs in New York City. Oh, it's not at the same venue. No. And so. Oh my god. Right. And uh, I used to want. I wanted a motorcycle so that faster. faster. But I mean, I was just doing taxis and taxi. Probably the best speak. Or a car service for the night. When I was preparing for a TV show or something, I'd rent a car service and have them sit outside and wait. But uh, but on a regular night, it was always taxis, and that that throws a little bit of chaos into it because you run out of the club, got to find a taxi, or jump on a subway, depending on like if you, you know you traffic. Um, so what you do is I to do eleven. I started at six o'clock. There was like an early show. Did a show at like 6 a.m. at a strip club or 6 p.m.? Yeah, but I did do shows at strip clubs, too. Um, okay. 6 p.m. you do the show, and then uh, clubs will have – most clubs have like multiple shows, like let's say three shows. And some clubs have more than one room. So you go in one room, you do a show, you walk out, and you do a room uh, – you do a show in the other room. And um, – then, like the comedy cellar, for example, has three rooms. So I can do now three shows, three rooms at the comedy cellar and get nine shows in and stay in basically like one club. But wow, but this was I'd start on the Upper West Side, do a spot, run over to the Upper East Side, do a spot, run to like I'd start at Stand Up New York, go over to the comic strip, down to Dangerfields, from Dangerfields, go down to the New York Comedy Club that 
down to the Boston Comedy Club in the village, then go to the Comedy Cellar, then go up to Caroline's, maybe back to the Comedy Cellar, maybe back to Stand Up New York. There, It's all pinballing around all night long. Did you ever get tired of hearing yourself talk? 11 shows I would like want to – like after a podcast, I, I kind of just want to put super glue my mouth shut. After about four or five shows, and I used to drink a lot, I'd start going, did I tell that joke in this set? Oh, yeah. Or did <laughs> was that the last one? Um, and every once in a while, someone would be like – the audience would just go silent, and you're like – I. I did that joke tonight and they'd be like, yeah, you did. (laughs) I had five girlfriends at the same time once. And that shit happened all the time. It's a mess. Five. Yeah. Five. Pussy. I had like seven, five girlfriends in Isla Vista, California, all within a one square mile radius. Oh, you're not joking. No, sir. That's a famous comedian now who had two both lived with him. Wow. What? Wow. and one on weekdays and he would take all of the one girl stuff and put them in a container and and put them in a closet and lock them in the closet bring the other girl's stuff out and i'm talking like clothes pictures everything did they know about each other oh oh yeah mine had you gotta like you can't yeah you can't you you, they gotta kind of know about each other they kind of kind of gotta know they gotta know something he did weekday weekend yeah, yeah. If you want to do it full steam ahead, like baller style, like you to man, you got to have you got. And I was homeless at the time. It was great. It was amazing. That's the greatest story ever. Girlfriend. It really needs to be a movie. <laughs> it really needs to be a movie. I actually. you know, So during that time, I, I, I is when I met my wife. And I courted her for five years. And I actually wrote a script. It's called Five Years to Fornication. And it's the five years of courtship before I was able to, you know, you know, that's, I'm not going to lie to you. I was very similar in the, but I was just a serial, uh, serial dater in that like women were like, you keep a stable. Yes. There was always one on the way out. And so you gotta, you gotta get one bringing one in and, and, this. The girl's like, oh, I do this with guys because she's like, I'm always filling up one of the relationships. Yeah. Like, always on the way out. And I'm always like trying to find a new one because by the time that that way I have a new one in and I was never serious with any of these girls. I always wanted to, when I was serious about my But career, did you want to be serious? Like I wanted to be serious with all of them. Not at all. Oh. I wanted, I was married to my career and all I cared about was stand-up comedy and relationships came second, so I never looked for a girl that I could get into serious. Like I dated like strippers and crazy girls that would I would never want to like fall for and have a a relationship with because I just didn't want that getting in the way of my life at that time. Yeah, that's hard work. That's awesome. That's hard work. Yeah, but you no, yours is harder because you're trying to like get a relationship with five of these girls. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. It was nuts. I, like it was basically, it was like a rock collection. Like you just want to just keep collecting them and adding them and adding them and adding them. 
That's how I you did. You did. You did 14 shows in one night or no, 11 shows in one night. I don't want to tell you how many girls I did in one night. That'll be a different show. You have to come on another time for us to tell that story. I, I've told, this <laughs> but I never had a one night stand in my entire 49 years of existence. You know that? Oh, you loser. Um, yeah. Because the thing was, is I figured it was so hard. I'm five foot five. I have a giant nose. I'm Armenian. I have like some hair on my back and shit like that. And it's just so much work getting to that point with a girl that it seemed like an utter fucking waste to bone someone once and let it go. It was just like, let's say it took, I don't, I don't know. My whole life I've never gone to a bar and like someone said, oh, you're cute. You want to go home with me? Like that is not my life at all. I, Me, it's like I have to put in a lot of work to get that close to a girl. A lot. I used to think a lot. I used to think that girls, a lot of girls in my life. And then once I settled down, wife, um, no girls ever contacted me again. And I realized it was all me. Like I was, I was pushing this. There weren't girls like chasing. Oh. Wow, that's awesome. What an awesome realization. It ended. It ended completely. Like I'm not kidding you. Like I've since I've been married now like seven, eight years. I've been and even and I'm on stage every night. I've been hit on maybe twice. <laughs> and you're not even sure. You're like, that guy could I could put that in the I got hit on column. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dude, I that's like, awesome. It was awesome like no girl and i used to think i'm like oh my god i have these special powers like women love me and it was like bothering them right uh and i was good at it i i'm not gonna lie uh i used to do a podcast about it where we talked about it and but it was easy you know you are famous for about 15 minutes and girls are attracted to funny guys so if i was making a room full of people laugh um, you know, when you say one night stands, whoo, it was, uh, I, I got some notches in the headboard. It was, I, I told a story and I've told all this on my old podcast and stuff. So I, I, I kind of like, don't like talking about it now that I've kids, but cause I, I, oh, I understand, but I like sex stories, but can you, t- I, can you tell I, us a G rated one? I met a girl one time in Newcastle, England that mm-hmm. I had sex with that I never spoke to. Wow. So out partying after the show, she tagged along. I just remember like drinking, partying with a whole bunch of people, loud nightclubs, getting in a taxi. She got in with me kind of like so drunk, went home. She followed me home, like basically came in the car with me, went up to my room, had sex or in the morning, woke up, looked at her and said, hi, I'm Eddie. What's your name? Oh, that's amazing. Did she laugh? Yeah. Yeah. She thought it was hysterical. And I was like, what happened? Like what? Was... And then funny enough about uh, a year later or something, I was in Chester, England and a really famous funny comedian from the UK named Frankie Boyle that you would love was uh, super famous in the UK. He was hosting the show and he said, Hey, there's in the front row. And I was like, really? So I looked out and I went, oh, my God, that's that girl. You know, I knew it since. And I said, uh, oh, shit, I can't remember her name. Do me a favor. Can you find out her name from the stage? And the MC talks to the audience. Yeah, yeah. And Frank, 
and he goes out before he brings me on. And uh, you know, they do the introduction. You might have seen this next comedian on this, or he's all the way from the United States. He goes wants to know your name. <laughs> oh, it could have been worse. He could have said something even crazier. I'm gonna give him a, a, a F in the friend column. Yep. Wow. I just walked out there and just looked at her like and I was like, oh, oh, so bad. There's this um there's this book I was reading. It's called Bounce. I just finished it. I'm reading this other book now. It's called Influence. Another interesting book. But what's funny about it is the book's all about influence. But the guy reading the audiobook, his voice is so repulsive. It, it, the, the irony there is crazy. It's so crazy. I've, I've actually will tolerate anyone reading a book to me, but his this guy's voice is so fucked up. Anyway, I'm, I just finished reading this book, and when I say reading, anytime I say reading, I'm lying. I listen to audiobooks, right, in the car when I drive the kids around because that's what I really right. do for a living. And I'm re- I was reading this book, Bounce, and the author is named uh, Matt Said or S- something. I forget what it is. A, a crazy good book. God, everyone should read this book. So good. It's ba- basically talking about talent versus hard work. And he ta- and he and this guy was the like number one ping pong player in the UK. And he tells a story about a guy, and it has multiple levels of 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 insight into the story. It's a great story, but he tells a story about a guy who for five years played ping pong in a shed. He was really poor and he lived in a, it was in a poor neighborhood. So he had to walk several blocks to this ping pong shed. And this kid played ping pong in a shed where there was no room to back away from the table. So the, the shed was so small that when the kid played ping pong in there, his hips were touching the table. Right. And so what that did was, is after five years, it made this kid the greatest ping pong player who ever lived out of coming out of the UK. I think they want, his nickname was like Speedy Gonzalez. And what they realized was because he couldn't back away from the table, his reflexes were insane, right? Like the, the, um, the average tennis, I forget what he says, ping pong player needed 400 milliseconds to react to someone's swing because they react to your swing and your body movement and not the ball. And this guy only needed 200 milliseconds. They somehow measured it. And so that's another thing like uh, uh, I'm going back to the to our original conversation about working hard. That's another thing that people don't realize. People think like l- like luck comes in the form of like your your parents were rich or the p- right person saw you on the right day. This guy's luck is that he had fucking hardship. This right. fucking guy's luck is that he had hardship. And there's a million stories like that. And so if you're a fucking victim and you feel sorry for yourself, you miss the fact that working out in that poor shitty shed is actually what made this guy the best ping pong player in the world. And there's there's 10 gazillion stories like that. No one the, – the, the greatest people in the world, you're going to find out that Uncle Buck fingered him at three and that their dad beat him until they were 12. And it's yeah. like, hey, I'm sorry, but there's just a ton of that. I'm, I'm a big – I'm, I'm, I'm a big sorry. fan. And Kelly Slater's the best surfer in the world or was the best surfer in the world. Arguably the best of all time. I mean, not, there's no argument. He is the best surfer of all time. He's beautiful too, man. He's handsome. The guy's the the he's you know the man crush of every. The guy has everything. Anyway, he grew up in Cocoa Beach, Florida, where the waves suck. Though I mean, they comparatively to the rest of the world, and same with the Brazilians who now rules. Their waves aren't that good. They have to surf these little. Cr- and because they have to surf these little crummy waves, they become so good. It's like the never read the talent code. 
Uh, no, should I read that? Oh my God, it's such a great book, but it sounds like very similar to what you're reading. It talks about all these hotbeds of like whatever, wherever people are good and great <laughs> at what they do. Um, like when you, he said there's basically saying there's no, no such thing as being a natural. Like you might. Yeah, yeah, same, same premise. Like, you know, like Matt Frazier is physically built for, <clears throat> however, he works harder than any CrossFitter to get that good. Um, the same with, uh, y- y- like, it talks about the Brazilians are so good at so because they play this uh, soccer called foos, not foos. Oh yeah, yeah. He talks about that too. Yeah, they touch the ball more than anyone, and they and there's all different kinds of like. I grew up doing comedy in New York City. I contend that New York stand-up comics are the best in the world because we could do eleven shows a night, and the talent could. Uh, uh, really relates to this that they talk about wrapping myelin in the book all about your nerve bundling it's yes it's, it's nerve bundling and um that you know you make mistakes you correct the mistakes you make the mistake you correct the mistake so, so like the best guy out there makes the most mistakes yep you see a kid at soccer practice that is the best kid out there and you're like wow what a natural no that kid is in their backyard <laughs> all night long after soccer practice playing soccer uh, let's look down the street that I was playing catch with. It's you know, high school baseball team. And I said, you know, I, I did well and made it to college, you know, and I, I look back and I'm like, did I work hard? I'm like, to the track. And I was the only kid on my team. And I, on weekends, I went to the gym and lifted weights after a kid in the weight room from the track team that they're, it takes that extra work. It is that hard work. Now, my the state championships or the national, every kid there hard. They all right, right. Talented. They're all and that day is like, you know, I watched the Olympic girls this year in the Olympics, and I expected the U.S. guy to win it and the Jamaican guy won it, and it small amount of time that it's what was the thing that day opposed to this other when he was jumping over the third hurdle he hit a fly you and that know, slowed him down just enough to not win it don't know like it could be uh you know it, think about women think about so, wait before you switch to women is it is it it's 110 meters it's not 100 meters 110 why? Uh, I, I I forget. I looked into this once, and I because they took the hundred meters and then they added ten meters at the start to up to the hurdles. The women run a hundred meters, which is weird. Okay, that is weird. Okay, so sorry, the women. I thought I thought I was catching you saying something wrong. Imagine imagine you get to the CrossFit game <laughs> that day. Uh, you get yeah. I think about that all the time. I, I, I wonder about that all the time. Yep. I talked about it with Ryan Flair, the performance training, and he was saying, you know, that's a subject matter that's like becoming increasingly like to deal with. I mean, he, he's talked about like because he works with some of the greatest athletes in the world and you'll see them have a bad match game, whatever they do. And the public will be like, what the fuck? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they don't know. She's going through something that you, Mr. Armchair Coach, you know, critic, 
have no idea because you've never done it or been through it. And, and because you're too much of a pussy to even talk about it or think about it. You know, I brought that up. There was an article in the New York Times that made me look like shit. That's why I brought it up with you. Oh, you want to get me fucking all riled up about fucking the, that dumb, woke-ass fuck Katrin David's daughter? Fucking dip, dipshit. <laughs> but, I, and I don't dislike her, but she's a dumb fuck. I mean, I just, it's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Like, that's a... Like... Like... Just it's 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 objective. It's objective. It's observational. But back to the talent code. Uh, I yes, won. yes. Good job. Good job. You I win. Won. Thank I you. Won. I owe you ten bucks for letting me just throw that into the show. By the way, I'm gonna I, send you a thank you card. New York gets so good. I think uh-huh. live is this guy named Dave Attell, and Dave does. Yeah, still to this day, he's been doing comedy for thirty five years or whatever it is, and he does. He does five, six shows every single night, and it's all he likes to do. He doesn't like to do anything else. He loves to do stand-up. He used to write for Saturday Night Live, and he would leave the tape. They couldn't find him, and we had the same manager. Calls from Lauren Michaels going like, where is Dave? We're taping right So my manager would track him down this before cell phones, and he'd be at the comedy cell. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing a set. He's like, you're supposed to be at SNL. He's like, they don't need me right now. He's like, they're shooting that. And wow. That over and over and over again. And it doesn't work on the first. Show. And fix it on the second show. You tweak it a little more. Third show. You're like, I think I got it. So you're doing all this nerve bundling and you're doing it. Whereas now that I live in LA, I might get one show a night and I'll do one show. And then I've got hours for the next show to fix it tweak so much in new york and then some shows and london was a little bit of wow that. i'm feeling it yeah and that you would just get these guys and they're in you know they're match fit these guys are just ready to go and and i'm i'm intimidated when i go back to new york and i throw myself into the, and i might have a lot more success than these guys that i'm i i'm like fuck i gotta follow this guy he is just roaring right now like this guy has it and he's doing those five six seven shows a night every night and you're like whoo and i and, and not not to say i was special or good or anything like that but i remember when like sign come in and chris rock and they'd be off doing sitcoms and, and they'd pop in to do stand-up and been doing it in years almost. or you know they do it like once and could you see the rust on them could you see the rust on them Fuck yeah. And here's the thing. No one would <laughs> them because they're so famous. The crowd would, you know, the crowd would fuck the tape. Come, Come on. Like, oh my God, it's scary. Seinfeld. Holy shit. And so comedians were always intimidated by that. And I was like, put me on after him. I'll go on right after Seinfeld. And they're like, you really, you want to? And I'm like, yeah, because I felt like I'm in shape right now. I've been working every day. And there's no expectations for me. People are like, I'll watch this guy bomb after Seinfeld. And so, you know, it. I love that spot. I'm, I've heard so many comics go, I hate following famous people. And I'd be like, oh, it's the, I think it's the best. If you're in shape and, and you're ready, it's the best spot on the show. How old are you, Eddie? I'm 50. Oh, shit. You look good. Do you dye your hair? No, I just got accused of dyeing my beard, but I... I've got the gray ones in there. 
kids, kids make that that special you have Malabama. How old is that? I did that. God, you look fucking good. Holy shit, you have nice skin and everything. Yeah, it's getting there. I I I was a lifeguard for all through college. Sat on the beach eight hours a day. No, and uh, uh, damage here. But um, I just went to the skin checked because I had a mold that I thought was I was sure it was cancer, and the guy looked. But at it's it. not. I'm sorry to hear that that, uh, that you got let down. The guy looked at it and he goes like this. He goes, "If you, hypochondriac, if you Google melanoma." He goes, that looks, he goes, however, under the microscope, that does not look like. (laughs) Yeah, that's the Virgin Mary. That's the Virgin Mary under microscope. Yeah. So uh, did uh, you watch Abbott and Costello as a kid? Yeah, I loved them. I just watched them the other day. Probably two days ago. Now that he's on first. Yep. Because she had never seen that. She had seen it. She was like, oh, I remember that. But uh, my wife's younger than me. My wife's 12. (laughs) My wife's, uh, she's like 13 years younger than me. And so some, and she'd be like, I was in eighth grade when that happened. You know, like OJ Simpson. She's like, I was Um, a woman in her thirties. That's, 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 that's a lot of servicing. Yeah. Tell me about it. That is a lot of servicing. So Abbott and Costa, I, a comedian friend of mine did a thing about uh, the WHO and the who world health organization, that WHO. Yeah. And he keeps doing who says that we should get vaccinated again. And the guy with him's like, but who said he's like, who says that we need to get. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. But you need to tell me who is telling you to do that. And he's like, who? and I'm watching it and it's funny. And I'm like, this is who's on first. And uh, my wife's like, huh? I'm like, watch Abbott and Costello, which I watched. And by the way, holds up right now. It's fucking brilliant. And it's it's better writing than 95 percent of the shit you'd see out there. That makes me so happy. So as a kid, I woke up every Saturday morning at uh, 5 a.m. Um, and I'd run out to the TV set. And, you know, the TV then only had like three channels. And I would just start watching cartoons. And when all the cartoons were over on Saturday mornings, like, I don't know, like at 10, then the the dumb shows would start like Shirley Temple and that shit. But if I waited long enough, there and I, and I always would, there would be an Abbott and Costello show that would come on. And it would be like Abbott and Costello meet the Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet the werewolf, Abbott and Costello. It was fucking amazing. And I watched Abbott and Costello for years every Saturday, the black and white shows. And I had the cassette tape with the who's on first. And I was just... I was determined to be um, like uh, Lou Costello. That was the short, fat one, right? Yes. I wanted to be Lou Costello so bad as a kid. And then, and and I grew up in the Bay Area, and then um, I got really, really at a young age into Rodney Dangerfield. And I had this, and my dad at a very young age, I was probably like in the sixth grade, bought me this set of 10 books. It was um, the world's most dirtiest jokes or something. And it was a 10 book like collection of these really skinny books. And, and, and my dad and I drove a lot like, like to LA or to Tahoe, or we would just, my dad would just take me on trips all the time. And I would just read dirty jokes to him that I'm they would probably just in hindsight, I mean, probably would just freak out most parents. Right. And uh, 
It was awesome. And, it, and, and the, and I, one time I won tickets, like, I don't know, like I was 10, 11, 12 and I won tickets on KFRC 610 on the FM dial, AM dial to, uh, go see Rodney Dangerfield at Shoreline. And my mom fucking took me to go see Rodney Dangerfield at Shoreline live. Dude, it was crazy. He's one comedian. I've met, I've met <laughs> almost everybody in the business. Uh-huh. Big enough name from Sasha Baron Cohen to Will Fer- you name it. I've met Rodney. You know, I met Carlin. I've like buddy. I've wow. Williams a bunch of time. I worked with Howie Mandel the other night. Um, I, I it's just like, every- is he as, is he as weird as Howard makes him out to be? I was expecting because of COVID for him to be like, like, yeah. And he came in and I think I saw him shake some hands or, or, bump some people mm-hmm. and he was wearing a mask the whole time except when he went on stage which you know i'm kind of like if you're gonna you know if you're gonna like i i think it's weird that people wear them into a restaurant and then take them off then put them on uh, like cunts they're cunts they're fear-mongering cunts i don't mean that again as a bad thing but, but the, the the mask is the fear flag. Whether you want it to be or not, whether it is to you or not, you're telling everyone around you that there's something scary there and you're scared of it. And so if you take it on and off, on and off, on and off, then you're just a douchebag. Sorry. So, uh, And I like a lot of douchebags, by the way. I have a lot of friends who are douchebags. So Rodney is the one that I – I never met Andy Kaufman. I would have loved to have met Andy Kaufman and Rodney. And – Andy, I've met Tony Clifton. I had Tony Clifton on my podcast. I don't know if you know who that is. Tony Clifton was Andy's alter ego. Oh. His manager. <laughs> he played his own manager who was like this violent, drunk, womanizing asshole. And wow. Then when he died, his real manager became Tony Clifton. And his real and then everybody thought Andy was still alive. Because Tony would show up places. They're like, wait. Andy, well, uh, uh, how is this? How is this happening? And then they're like, "Wait, is this?" So there's this guy Bob Zamuda, and Bob Zamuda is Tony Clifton, although he'll deny it. House in Tahoe, and Tony Clifton, and, but Bob Zamuda arranged that I meet Tony Clifton. It's really crazy. But Andy, it was like they would both play him. What what podcast episode is that? I want to go back and listen to that. That would have been, uh, I think that's the very that I did. It was called the Bengal Show. Um, How many how many episodes have you done? How long have you been doing it? Talking shit, I did five wingmen. I I did back in like five or something. I did like ten episodes of the show with a guy named Brian Callen. And the funny thing is, it was all about like picking up women, and then on uh the new york Times or the la go about brian like accusing him of raping women i was like ah maybe i shouldn't have done a podcast about even though brian's by the way the la times also called larry elder a white man in uh blackface la times is the most racist pile of shit fucking if you support the la times or the new york times you're a fucking idiot. You might as well go back in time and vote for Hitler. You are a fucking racist, sexist scumbag if you support well, either of those newspapers. They're well, horrible. I, They're I, worse than Reddit. Sorry. Brian is uh, Brian is a friend of mine, and uh, I don't want to get into like the accusations. Or that's a whole other 
thing. Um, but Brian is a friend of mine and, uh, and then I did talking shit for, uh, did 500 episodes, 499. I quit at 499 because I thought anybody, wow. Could, anybody can do 500. How long did it take you to do those? Mm. I don't know how many years, maybe like, but I'm about to hit 500 on the podcast too. So Wadcast is up near 500 episodes and uh how and how long do you think it'll take did it take you to do that the reason why i ask is because this guy matt souza who's like kind of stepped on my dick and told me like hey you got to do this podcast i told him i I said i'm gonna do 500 Mm -hmm. and i figured i could do 500 in two years you could do 500 in two years easily i mean rogan probably does that you know because but but i have to you have to basically be obsessed i'm obsessed yeah i don't I don't know. Like, I just was bitching about Gary V yesterday uh, to someone. You know, Gary V's like, you got to put content out there. You, everything you see, you got to put it on the internet. And baseball players only hit the ball 20% of the time. It's none of your content hits. You know, 20% of it's going to. No. You know, there's so many times that I look at my digital. Ah. I'm like, I just put a lot of shit out there. Like, I like I just, that. I don't feel like it's narcissistic of me to think people want to hear me. well it it, it, hey if i'm not feeling uncomfortable every show then i didn't do a good job that means like i'm not giving my best to the audience i should feel uncomfortable i should feel like i'm vulnerable i should feel like i've i should be like second guessing myself and if i'm not then it is more like littering but if i'm but if i'm if i'm really putting it out there and and i actually it's funny i haven't gotten to any of my notes about you but i have this one like very serious question to ask you Seven inches. About all of that. Ready? Your your whole life you're supposed to like you know, enlightenment is is sorry, too deep. Let me reel it in. There's the uh how do you know if you're a good comic? Your whole life you're taught like, hey, love yourself and just like yourself. Or how do you know if you have a good podcast? The truth is is if no one like if like I've always wanted to be a comedian and I'm not a comedian and like so that's why I want to start having a lot of comedians on the show so I can live through them vicariously and like um, think I'm cooler than I really am. But um, you're I'm OK with my success being determined by other people. Like if people don't like my podcast, that means my podcast sucks to me and I'm kind of OK with that. And I would think that the same is kind of like that for being a comedian. Like, could you be a could, could a great comedian and everyone thinks you suck? Yeah, I think so. You, I think explain uh, explain that to me because I know it goes it's taboo to like put your happiness in other people's hands or your success in other people's hands but I'm kind of like fuck it I'm I'm gonna just do it well the <laughs> like best, am I gonna get my heart stepped on from the beginning <laughs> comics recommendations for me always were do what you think is funny not what the audience think is funny you know right there's the paradox right yeah uh, Bill Hicks always said play to the back of the room meaning like play to the comics. Because the comics know ultimately have a better sense of humor than the average person because comics are experts in comedy. They study comedy. So, uh, you know, a hack comedian can go out and kill with the audience. But a cover band is going to kill with an audience, too. But you're not going to buy their albums. Uh, You know, a cover band is going to come out and play all your favorites, you know, brown-eyed girl, and everybody's going to scream and dance. 
but you know if it was some cool band that was like incredibly musically talented and no one knew the words to their song uh, oh yeah these guys might be good but i'm not so why is that that's like the milli vanilli phenomenon i never understood that when people find out found out that it really wasn't them singing the song tanked i'm like what what like what do you give a fuck i that's a whole other thing i think with being people being fooled yeah you look at Avicii, who had like really popular music, like EDM kind of music, and he didn't sing any of his own songs. He was the per the songs, but his name was on them. And it's like the singer, who's the singer of these songs that everybody you're getting all the credit. Right. So, uh, as a comedian, I think in the beginning everybody tells you to strive for this like integrity and blah blah blah. Get caught up in. Wait a minute. I want to explain how do I kill? How do I how do I do there's there's constantly that torn apart the art versus commercialism where right I I got to make I got to make the money but at the same time I want to do this really unique different stuff and all my favorite comics were all the ones that didn't give a fuck. It took me a long time to get to not give a fuck. When I wish I took the road from the beginning, gotten to where I wanted to be a lot quicker. Uh, but it would have been hard. It would have been hard. But there's a paradox there, right? Like the whole, like, I'm kind of in that place too. Like I was trying to see what my hat would look like on backwards. I've never worn it backwards on the podcast. I'm vetoing it right now. Um, I, um, I, I'm in a really good place right now because I don't give a fuck too. But I do give a fuck. The, but I'm in the I don't give a fuck space. I'm in the I don't give a fuck space because, um, like I can't go any lower. I was fired from my job a year and a half ago. Like they're like I have my kids in my life and like fuck what like not you can do nothing to me now. In that way, I don't give a fuck. But I do give a fuck in terms of I don't want to litter like that term you used earlier. And I do like if I'm littering and people aren't enjoying the podcast and people aren't enjoying the guests and if there's not something people are taking away being better from it. And so I, I do feel then I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, there are times where I feel like I'm littering and I get mad at myself. I used to not because you want because you care because you want people to laugh. Right. So you have to go up there and not give a shit about your comedy, but you have to care. It's, it's weird. It's weird, man. Well, I went forever not caring. I went. OK. Uh, and I would do comedy that, you know, I always use people, you say, what kind of comedy I would like, I would say, I take the things that are the most challenging, the hardest things to laugh at. And I try to make you laugh at them. I want the oh. audience to, I love the laugh. We're bold. Oh my God. I should not be laughing at this. However, when I had children, I evolved and it, I became <clears throat> a different person because of my children. And so my comedy has changed a lot love to be offensive and the woke culture because people were like aren't you so scared? what are you gonna cancel yeah the, the chuckle hut next week <laughs> All right. I, you know, I just, is there really a place called that the chuckle they're, hut they're the worst names ever all comedy clubs have the worst names and it's just it's so embarrassing when friends are like where are you ha ha cafe and go do a stuff <laughs> <laughs> It's just all, like I, 
I prefer clubs that don't have that. Like, OMG, is that really the name of the cafe? Ha ha. OMG. Go bananas. <laughs> There's a club in Cincinnati called Go Banana. And it's just, I, to say I have to work there is is awful. So, um, but if nobody laughed, you would be like every fucking comedy comic. Like you want to hear people laugh, and sure. so your success really is dependent on. You have to accept the fact that you have you have to accept that it, it's depends. it's a paradox, right? That depends because when I my comedy was all about pranks and fucking with people, and my friends people and they would laugh so i was trying to make a subset of people laugh by kind of making fun of other people or at the expense of other people i'll use sasha baron not saying anything like him my comedies like him the joke is on everyone else sasha's doing what he's doing and we as the viewer are watching him pull this like stunt off on everyone we are laughing we're on his side now like we're in we're the viewer. We know we're in, we're inside. We know. Um, when I started doing stand up comedy, I had to let the audience in. And it's weird to me because I'm like, you guys aren't the people that I want to make laugh. You're the people that I want to play the joke on that other people laugh at. And so it was very difficult for me in the beginning. And I didn't know how to do that. But like, now studying comedy and understanding it people like andy kaufman did that like their whole his whole thing was the joke was on the audience i'm gonna say something stupid here i apologize uh in advance when you say so was your original comedy when you were when you're referencing like you play pranks on people would it just be just like like you'd be like there's this thing we used to do as a kid we would go to the library in the seventh grade and we would uh the public library and my friends and i would pull out like a playboy and then we'd one of us would have to be like walk up to the librarian open it up to the centerfold and be like it, while the, everyone else watching, like, is this appropriate? Do you know what my mom would say? Can you believe this woman's vagina? And then, and then the, we, the joke was on the librarian. We were complaining about Playboy magazines in the library. Right. Is that what you mean by, like, you used to do shit like that? Like, just stand up for your friends and just pick people on the randos and just fuck with them? That's the exact same thing. And okay. so how do you, how do you transfer? <laughs> because... It's all of, I want the joke to be, let them in on the joke. So what I kind of into at some point in my career was do these jokes that upset people. And I'm going to bring up a subject that they're like, you don't tell this joke. You know, I, I, I loved, I'd go to like do a show to college and they're like, Hey, dude, it was just here. And I was like, okay. And I would shitting joke you know it was like whatever you told me not it was the taboo subject is exactly what i was gonna do and there were people in the audience that would be upset about it and i always said keep getting upset because it makes the person next to you because right being upset it, it wasn't like i was trying to hurt people's feelings humor was in this like prank kind of place and um, it's it. Look, I've hurt people's feelings, and I don't want to do that. Um, 
but I have done it and I'm sorry I've done it. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of utilitarianism, like the greatest good for people. Like people are like, well, shouldn't you cater your jokes to everyone? And I'm like, I, I don't have the ability to do that. Maybe I do now, but you know, I just, I loved Andy Kaufman and my comedy. Again, I'm nothing like him, but I just, at Rodney Dangerfield's club, the manager told me a story once. And I said, did you ever know Andy Kaufman? And the owner of the club, who was Rodney's manager, said to me, he goes, Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman. He goes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that guy. And I'm like, how do you not? This is kind of how out of it the owner was. Yeah. A movie, Jim Carrey star. <clears throat> not know. I go, did he ever play? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, <laughs> we had him try out here once in the old days. He goes, the tryouts where the young comics would come in after the show at the end of the night and the staff would sit in the audience and the, the new comics would get it like three minutes in front of the staff and the staff would then vote. I'm a regular comic here. He goes, so we had heard one guy and how he was like new up and coming dark. And he goes, so we gave him his audition one night. He goes, so he shows up and all the new comics are doing their show. It's Andy's turn. He's in. He's got three minutes. He comes kid on stage, puts a drum kit together. They're like, he's getting ready. And all the comics are kind of giggling and he's getting ready. And he goes, then he leaves the stage. And we go, where'd he go? They go, oh, he went downstairs to put his costume on, puts on his Elvis costume or whatever it is. He comes up on stage. Now he's gone way over his three minutes. And they're like, what the fuck? You know, like it's late night and everything. We got to go. And what's this guy doing? Comes on stage. He takes a bow. They're like, what? Goes back downstairs, takes his Elvis costume off, puts his street clothes on, comes back upstairs, starts breaking down the drum kit, taking piece by piece out of the van outside. Then he gets in the van and drives away. <laughs> the owner said to me, I never fucking hired that guy ever. And I go, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, that is brilliant. And he's like, what is? I go, what? I go, the fucking joke he played on you guys. And he goes, oh, man. What joke? I'm what joke? And I go, y you don't get it. You were part of like one of the greatest jokes ever that I've ever heard at a comedy club. I go, how long did that last? He goes, oh, man, that guy took up like a fucking half hour of our time. And I go, that's genius. And he's like, he's an asshole. And so, you know, it can be both. It could be both subjective. And I look at it as though I would have been crying, laughing, crying, watching that happen. Whereas 90% of the audience would have been like, who is this fucking asshole? And what is he doing? When you said when you said when someone asked, well, can you tell clean jokes or whatever? I immediately thought, yeah, I started just my brain started going off and I'm just thinking like, yeah, you got Bill Cosby who made a career out of telling clean jokes, but then was uh, was uh, <coughs> drugging women at night. And it reminds me of the Republican senator who fucking comes up with all the fucking anti homosexual uh, bills. Yeah. yeah. Then he's in the bathroom jerking off. 
And then it's the same thing with the with our current president. It's we we have a guy who's the the most blatantly racist human being ever to lead this fucking country in my lifetime, and yet he's 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 charging the anti-racist front. It's crazy. I was trying to explain it to someone the other day. If my neighbor stood on his front porch and said, I am not a pedophile. I hate all pedophiles. And his lawn was covered with signs that said, I hate pedophiles. Like, guys, <laughs> like, come on, man. Come on. It, the world is such a funny place like that. How it's that it's that um uh kindergarten psychology you have one finger pointed at me and you have four pointed back at yourself and it's like almost always true it's like anyway the, i i got off on that because when you were saying people want you to tell clean jokes it's like yeah look at the comics who tell clean jokes look look at my friend who's a porn star has a great phrase. I think they use it in the porn industry. She goes, people jerk off with their right hand and clean their finger with their left hand. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And yes. I, I think porn is the greatest example of that in the world. How those people are not vilified, but shunned and looked down upon the entire industry. Meanwhile, you click on their videos and there are 80 billion views which means everyone's watching it everyone's using it but yet you wouldn't have a conversation with that person or you you know pull your children away or whatever um i had at my wife's um at my wife's baby shower one of my friends who's a porn star was there and my wife invited her she became friends with her through me and she had her at the baby shower and my wife's friends with all these like girls that were like debutante type girls, you know, and there's a girl who I'll tell you, it's Bonnie rotten and Bonnie is at, the, I'll look her up when the show's over. No, look her up now and you'll, it'll, it'll spur your conversation even more. She's okay. Got, she's got spider web tattoos on her boobs. Um, she's one of the nicest people I know. And she's always been a good friend to me. And there's like, you know, it's just, there's like no sexual relationship whatsoever. You know, we talk about our kids all the time and, you know, she's just great. She's like a wonderful person. And oh, she's, she's very attractive. Yeah, she is. She's very pretty and she's very into guns now. She's all about shooting and tactical games and stuff like that. She's gotten out of the porn world, but um, it was so funny uh, because. And I said, how was your, how was your baby shower? She was like, it was good. I was like, how was everyone with Bonnie? You know, was it weird? She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, was it weird that Bonnie was there? And she goes, no, people loved her. And I was like, she's like, why would you think people wouldn't love her? You know, she's great. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but it was me just assuming that everyone would be like, Ooh, porn star, blah, blah, blah. But maybe they didn't know she was a porn star. Did they know? She did because at one point, one point somebody said, "Bobby, what do you do?" And she said, "I fuck for money." Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> She's one of the funniest people. I met her in um, I met her in the last came off stage, and she chased me out the door. And uh, she was a pretty girl, and, and yeah, I was married at the time. But she's like, "Who are you? Who are you? You're so funny. I need to." She's like, "Are you on Twitter?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she tweeted me. I told my wife, I'm like, Lauren, look at, I just met, I'm like showing her and I pulled up her porn. I'm like, look at this, look at this. 
oh my god i'm like she goes my wife's so smart she goes so i had her on she sits down and i think my first question was what's the worst thing you've ever done in porn and she goes i wow 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 I was like, we're going to be good friends. <laughs> wow. Is that the only porn star you've had on your show? No, I've had tons. She was the one I really enjoyed uh, because there was there very interesting, very smart. She said to me, I, I knew I was going to do it for a little bit and I be the best. I'm going to be the best there is. And she became the AVN Performer of the Year, which is the highest award. And then she got out. Oh, she does. So she was a hard worker. Follow well, her was she a hard worker? Follow her on Instagram. She, all she posts are videos of her shooting now. Uh huh. Like rifle range, you know, games and oh, that and kind of shooting. Okay, I thought you, I was thinking like behind the camera. Okay, yeah, yeah you said no, that shooting, no. right? She is so into it. She's absolutely obsessed. With it. And you can see that she's got that personality that do you ever feel like it's, do you ever feel like it's a waste doing other people's podcasts? Like, like, Hey, this should be, you should have been spending this time doing your own podcast. No, I like doing other people's podcasts because the, the, the parameters aren't there. The, the, I can go outside of what I have to do. I, I'm not enjoying doing my, and uh, I'll switch it because I'll, I'll fix it because I'm not enjoying it. Um, what do you mean? Why aren't you enjoying it? Um, Did you ever enjoy it? First, let me start yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed oh. it. The, when we Wadcast is the only one I'm doing right now. And Wadcast, there are constraints of like falling into what the listener expects. And uh, it, like doing the formula. And I, I hate. Oh, there. See, we circled back. There we are again. Like we do this thing and it's like we're supposed to just do stuff for ourselves and be ourselves. And yet if no one likes us, we're a failure. And I, and I, I'm kind of, I'm starting to be like, okay with that, but it's weird. Yeah. And the commercialism of it, you know, it's like, Hey, I make money doing this. I have to do it. And if I switch the brand, then, you know, I see people that are on brand all the time. Like I look at Conan O'Brien, mm -hmm. how do you not kill yourself doing the same fucking show every night for 25 years? Like, I know it's different and it's a variety show, but it's the same formula every night, this and that. And so I just, yeah, the great thing about me never, and never, you know, I've had a million pilots, none of them ever get picked up. And the best part about that is that my life is so random that it's always interesting where if I, you know, I work at comedy club sometimes. I guess, and it'll be seven nights in a row by night. Uh -huh. The fuck out, out of here. I cannot walk on this. Um, so, uh, when I'm falling into a bit of complacency with my show right now, but I also like, oh. I like talking to interesting people like you. Well, thank you. No, I mean, I, who or when, but every once in a while I get a bad guest. Processors. Are bad guests. 
And I blame myself. I was just telling my wife, I was like, I blame myself for not doing enough research and not coming up with funny enough questions. So I'm that's oh. my, really throw questions that their answer doesn't even matter. So, cause they can't roll. A lot of them became workout people because they're insecure and they're not socially that that's not their thing. Um, I, yeah, did I, I did a, I did a show with a guy named Colton Mertens. Oh yeah. And he, um, and, and then I did it more recently, a show with, uh, um, the, the girl who took second Laura Horvat mm-hmm. and the one with, and both of them were like really, really hard shows, but for different reasons, but you know what it made me want to do? It makes me want like, so now I want to have like Colton Mertens on. Like, so I want to, when I, on the weekends, I'm going to start doing these shows. I'm going to rip this idea off from Howard Stern, actually. I'm looking for someone to do it right now. I'm going to start doing a show that's like the news, right? You know how Robin, like, will read, by the way, I can't stand Howard anymore. I stopped listening to him like two years ago because he's just spreading fear around, unnecessary fear around COVID. He's a, he's a bitch of the highest order. So I'm just to let you know, I'm, I, I grew up with his wife, grade school, high school, college, we're Uh friends, just saw his mom at a, or her mom at a funeral. I know Howard is very, very afraid. So yeah, he's a bitch. So he is. He is very afraid of COVID. And even if I was a bitch, I wouldn't spread the fear. That's that. That's the, the other thing too. Like, there's things that I do. Like, like I tell people, don't eat sugar and don't eat refined carbohydrates. But it and I and don't drink alcohol. But it does happen. It does happen. There'll be a time where I'll have a fucking kombucha while I'm watching UFC fights, you know, once a month. I don't post that shit on Instagram, not because I'm being fake, but because that's not the message I want to spread. That's not like I don't show my like my kid does. My kid will occasionally like I'll go to a birthday party and he'll eat some ice cream at some kid's house. I don't post that. I don't I don't lie about it. But I just say, hey, yeah, I don't feed my kids uh, uh, added sugar, refined carbohydrates. And if it does happen, I don't like – I'm not like one of those people who's saying, hey, be, I'm a vegan and then and then be, get caught eating steak. But you, but you have to realize that we're all influencing other people. You have to have a certain – without being fake, you have to respect your platform. And if you're scared of COVID, I get it. But, if, but don't spread that fear because there's nothing to fucking be afraid of if – you're a healthy person. Like nothing. You're more likely to die falling down the fucking stairs. That that ship has sailed, though. Um, what, the, what do you mean? Like, uh, what, I, what ship? I was just talking to my wife about it. I said, look, um, you, for, I don't want to get into it as far as like vaccinations and this and that. And I said, <laughs> we can do all the protocol that is right or that is mandated or asked. I said, but I don't think it's healthy for us to talk about COVID ever. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Our children. And I said, I think like this thing, I agree. It's going to take its course wherever it goes, but I've asked COVID, but I've had friends that have had it many, many, many. And I will say to them, how, and maybe you have had it. Do you know for sure you haven't had it? I don't know. And I could have. Okay. Um, right. I've, I've said to friends when you got it, how bad, you know, they all go, and I had this and I had that. And I go, yeah, but how much of that could have just been psychosomatic? And and I know people that have had it really bad or this or that. But um, my point is that it's so, there is so much fear mongering that when you get it, you're like, I go, I'd freak out if I got it. Because right. 
they have talked about it so much. And I have heard, I have a really good brain of storing every little thing I've ever heard. And I am a bit of a hypochondriac and um, every little thing that's story, it'll like, Oh my God. Like as soon as I had that thing on my leg, I remembered this guy I knew that passed away that had a mole between his toes that never saw it. And I'm at the dock, you know, and I'm like, I remember that. So I think all the talk that's gone on of COVID has, uh, you know, same with cancer. My, uh, my, Oh, cancer is the identical. There's this book called ravenous. You have to read it by Sam Apple. Cancer is in 1930. Cancer was the COVID of today. And Hitler was terrified, terrified of cancer. He spent – he was the leader in cancer research. It was amazing. They were basically going to take over the Ukraine and to kill all the people and just plant f- fields of organic food there for, for the Germans. They were terrified of cancer. And now look, 600,000 people die every year in the United States from cancer, and they, and those, and, and they never found the cure for it. You know why they didn't find the cure for it? For the same reason they're never going to find the cure for COVID. There is no fucking cure. You have to stop eating poison. Mm. You have to stop fucking eating poison. And then you're good. 99% of you will be good if you stop eating poison. You won't get cancer and you won't die of COVID. Peace yeah. and love. I uh, I don't want to change the subject completely, but... Um, <laughs> Please, do, do, do it. Because I want to talk about... Pod- we, go back to podcasts. Uh, we were... No, we were... Like, that's why I like talking. Well, basically, so 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 getting tired of podcasts. So basically, what one of the things I want to do is I want to steal that idea from, and I just talked to James Hobart about this last night. Yeah, and um, something may have changed with your audio just now. Is your does my audio sound okay to you? Uh, your audio sounds fine. Mine's mine's. Oh, that's better when when you lean back. I think. Okay. Um. So I want to take this idea on the Howard Stern show. Uh. uh the uh, what's her name? I was going to call her Joan Rivers. It's not Joan Rivers. Robin Quivers. Robin Quivers does the news, right, where she reads like 30 headlines from the news and they go through and it takes anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And basically one day a week I want to do that, and I asked James Hobart if he'd want to be the news guy. And uh, he said he'll think about it. But if I don't find James Hobart to be the news guy, I, I, I need to find someone. And I would love a black, lesbian, Jewish woman to do it because I think that would cover a lot of bases and give us a lot of co- give us a lot of cover. But if not, I'll take the white guy James Hobart and um and, and I'm and, so. To- but I want to do that. I, I'm excited to like steal that idea and run with it once a week and do the live show on Saturday and Sunday. That's why I do this show live now, Eddie, because it's scary and terrifying. By the way, I'm sorry I was chewing ice. I try not to do that, but but it's my show. Sorry, I, the ghost of Versailles. You on that note. I tried to do that with Wadcast. Okay. So to go live or have a news show. Have a news show. So when Wadcast was going on and it was Scott, Armin Hammer, and myself, Armin. Oh, you worked with Armin Hammer. Was my partner. Okay. Got our, first. It was Kenny Kane, Armin, and I. Then it became this guy, <laughs> Scott, uh, Armin, and I. And Armin knew everything about CrossFit. I mean, everything. So I was like, Armin. Yeah, he does. You- and I was like, I don't pay attention to it. And I'll just throw in jokes here and there. That's all I wanted to be was like kind of the guy that just makes off-color funny stuff. And yeah, me too. We all split and went our separate ways. Anyway, I had con- – What was the other guy's name? Scott what? Uh, Scott McGee. I wonder if I know him. 
He's a SWAT team guy. Um, Sounds and, very familiar. I'm going to Google him. Go on. At one point, I had contacted the guy who does Morning Chalk Up, Justin LaFranco. Okay. And I said, hey, this is back when Morning Chalk Up had just begun. Do come on our show and do a segment each week on the news of CrossFit. Because I didn't want to have to follow CrossFit. And right. I, I'll just let someone else be able to tell who's doing what, where's there's this, blah, blah. And he was like, tell me your demographics and tell me you're this and tell me you're that. And I was like, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> yeah, that dude's on that dude's on the spectrum for sure. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but for sure. For 100%. <laughs> so I just, it wasn't our personalities. Nothing against him. It's just with. It's okay if there was something against him. It's that's fine too. But my point he's a he he's a he's a he's a. I shouldn't I shouldn't open that door. Oh man, he's a fucking just another woke bitch. Oh, really? go on. I, I, oh God, they're so fucking woke. Those fucking idiots. Those fucking idiots posted made a post on their fucking Instagram of fucking Dave Castro and basically insinuating that he was closed-minded and fucking bigoted and just wasn't open to shit. Meanwhile, he's wearing a fucking, in the picture, he's wearing a shirt, the, the gay flag CrossFit shirt. This is the SEAL Team 6 guy wearing the gay gay fl- gay flag CrossFit shirt, and they're, and they're trying to call him out for being a bigot. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just such shallow, no-integrity bullshit over there at the Morning Chalk Up. They're cunts. I blocked them like fucking years ago. There's like the whole. Anyway, but 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 I like what they're doing, and they and some of their content's good, and I have no problem giving them credit where credit is due. But like they have no problem. Like the, I guarantee you that there's a rule you're not allowed to say my name over there, or reference my podcast over there. All those fucking idiots are either threatened, terrified, jealous, or hate me, and they should be because I'm free. And I'm not a racist and I'm not a sexist and I'm not a homophobe. And so I don't have to pretend like I am or I'm not like those fucking woke jackasses. And they they suck dick and pander to the community as their daily like habit. And and I don't have to do that. And like they're just douches. I, 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 funny. 117 episodes in. And I really have tried all 117 episodes not to say anything negative about these people. But – and and it really sh- and I guess it maybe it's not negative. It's just objective. Yeah, I don't think there's any observation. I I've always found like when critics review my shows, yeah. uh, sometimes it's really harsh, and I'll look at it and go, mm, "They're fucking right," you know. It'll hurt, and I'll go, "But they're dead on." Right. So, like you didn't like your review, and I'm like, "I know I don't like that they were right." <laughs> you know? uh, right. Right. Yeah. You know, like right. I don't like. I get that. It, it, you know, it, like it hurts, but they are right. I, I get mad when they're not right. When they've made up bullshit. You should read my one review that I got a review one time in Australia that they wanted to have me deported. Um, oh, that's awesome. I, so this big fat one eyed. Side lesbian feminist woman who. Literally, literally like talked of having me deported from Australia. And I used her review on the back cover of my DVD. And uh, I just thought it was hysterical. Yeah, um, I think that's good. A one-star review. And I said, I that went with her to the show that wrote for another paper game. 
review and I changed my poster to say critics agree. It- <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I think, I think it's a shame not to, 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 I think it's a shame to not realize that rising tides float all ships like that, that you shouldn't be threatened by people in your space. You shouldn't be jealous of people in your space. You should be inspired and you should, um, basically on some level be sub- all all supporting each other um it, it, in sports it's a zero sum game i beat you i win you lose we're at zero the world of economies does not work like that if someone is succeeding we're all succeeding that and that's what the woke crowd fucking does not get they're fucking miserable curmudgeons in 1986 mercedes benz put an airbag in their 560 sel it was the first airbag in a production car now every tom dick and harry has an airbag in their car and yet still the woke crowd and these fucking idiots complain about the discrepancy of wealth you can't talk about the discrepancy of wealth if you also don't consider the fact that poor people have more access and more opportunity and are richer than any poor people in the history of mankind what do i mean by that everyone has a fucking smartphone everyone has an airbag in their car people are sleeping in their cars and so like you and, and you want to be mad at Bezos and this other virgin Atlantic guy for going to the Mars. If we don't let people get that rich, none of us will ever go to Mars. Someone fucking has to do it first. Quit trying to pull people down from the fucking top and, and, and to make the people at the bottom better. The discrepancy isn't the measurement. It's the overall health of everyone relative to where it was 10 years ago is the only metric that matters. My, my, you guys are screwing everything up, and which brings me to that to one of your other podcast buddies uh, who you had a breakup with, and I watched the video on YouTube yesterday, and he's a bitch too. That guy can come get some too. I'll fuck him up. Jim Jeffries. What? Yeah, he's a cunt. He's the stupidest fuck ever. I regret listening to that eight-minute video. I don't know if you're friends with him now. But he said some dumbass shit about people's rich parents buying them shit. You don't know shit, dude. You need it's to not, shut it's the fuck up. It's what? When that happened, that was— By the way, this is the most negative I've ever been on my podcast. No, I really I, apologize. I hope I've people never, will tune I've out never, by this I've point. Never, I've never really talked about this on a podcast. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I was going to address it to him. <laughs> I was going to go to work. <clears throat> and that's out there. He's a fucking idiot. And I don't even know him or your beef, but he said some shit that's so not true there. Like there's really, really fucking poor people who've saved a lot of money working in the field. And I come from those kind of fucking people who fucking were making $7 an hour, saved every penny they had so that after 30 years of saving money, they could lend that money to their kids so that their kids could buy a house. It's not rich parents lending their fucking buying their kids house. It's good parents. It's good fucking parents looking out for the generations ahead of them and saving money and trying to help people. I'd I'd live in a car before I sold my house I, I, so that I, I could give it I, to my kids. I wish my because I pay that fucking yes. mortgage every week and it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was, and I, I <clears throat> that was on Bert Kreischer's podcast. They did that. Bert's a good friend of mine. Bert said, "Hey, whatever happened to you and Eddie?" Um, Jim and I had a falling out when we did this po- uh, when we did a podcast together because I used to just got a sitcom. I got uh, we, we Jim got a sitcom and I got the podcast. So who won in that divorce? Uh, that was my joke. The truth of the story. 
he was my roommate for three years. He was becoming very successful. I was not jealous of him. I was helping him. I did so much to help him and hope that his career would excel. The narcissistic piece of shit. And I always swear I wouldn't talk about him anymore. But, and uh, he comes across like that, by the way. He totally comes across like that. And I, he said I was jealous of him. I believe he was jealous of me because I'm happy. Because I have like happy family life and a uh and um hobbies and and take care of my body to do things to make my life better whereas you know he's got all these issues um and it suffers from depression and all this stuff anyway we had a show and we were selling ads for our show um at one point we went to collect on the ads from this one guy that was selling ads for us and he wouldn't pay and the guy was going through this podcast network and he never paid us. He never paid the network. The network never paid us. And when we decided to divide up the podcast, Jim goes, give me half the money that's in the account and take my name off the show. And I said, okay, there's only about $500 in the account and we need that to pay bills. And right. Probably more bills than the money that's in the account. Right. And he said, I said, so actually you probably should give me some money. <laughs> So that I can pay all the bills and, you know, cause we have, you know, 22 or whatever it may be, you know, even hosting the podcast, like hosting this podcast cost me a couple hundred bucks a month. He didn't understand any of that. Cause he never did any of the administration. Right. And he said, Oh, there should be like, there's like, it started out. There was 11,000, $11,000. And I said, we never, you can ask. Jay Moore, who was the owner of the network, we didn't get paid for that. And he goes on the and everything he ever does in embellishment on Bert's podcast, he said there was like forty thousand. So yeah, he has, uh, forty. And I even said to him, "We never got paid. We have the same. You can ask the accountant; he will explain." Because I have told you, and he was like, "Just give me my money," and I was like, "There's no money to give you." Ask the accountant. He'll explain this to you. And I said, there's like five. He goes, well, just. I said, here's the password. You have it anyway. Take it all. I don't care. You can have it. Fuck you. Fuck you. And how are your stories so different? Isn't that crazy? Because he's a storyteller. That's what he does. And the victim and everyone else. So, um, I always swore I'd never talk to myself having to defend myself until a couple guys made about him and they made some documentaries about him that showed that shed some light on who he really was. Um, and then he had this, he had this with, uh, he brought a guy on his pot, on his TV show and basically the guys, the guy's like a uh, a nationalist, and he's an Australian guy, an Israeli guy living in Australia. Immigrants coming into Australia on your show, just don't. You cannot put me on the premises like Hitler or anything. Like, <laughs> don't do that, and also don't context. So sure enough, the guy recorded secretly recorded his interview. And then 
Jim did his interview and at one point stopped. He goes, mate, we're going to edit this. I'll say, watch me say this about Muslims. Watch me say this. Watch me very woke on his comedy central show, but here he is like trashing Muslims. And so the guy then released on YouTube, the whole interview catching Jim. Now I don't, you know, I ended my friendship with that guy, but I like the other day, my mom passed away a few weeks ago. He contacted me and said, sorry to hear about your mom, which I did when his mom died. I'm not an animal, <laughs> you know, like, right, right, right. I, I just, I don't like, I liked having, having good people in my life. I put him out of my life because I just didn't feel like there was any benefit in my life. I was on his sitcom. Um, I had a part in his sitcom. Like, don't you, you want for that? No, no, I don't know him for that. Like I, I owe him nothing for that. In fact, they said they wanted to give me a reoccurring role on it. Like, Hey, we're going to make this reoccur. And I was like, I told my wife offer me to be on the sitcom, you know, regular character, make sure I say no. <laughs> like we would like that money, but make sure I say no. Have you ever ended a friendship over money? <clears throat> no. Like ended. Yeah. Me neither. I've had people like like all the crazy shit, you know, like the the, the your housemate is a heroin addict, steal your bike, and he's nodding off, and you're like, dude, where's my bike? And he's like, I sold it. I've had the people like the friend I lent four thousand dollars to never paid me back. The friend I lent three thousand dollars to never paid. Just all that shit. I never, never, ever, ever would end a friendship on that. Now I'm like, I'm I, like, the my friend who was addicted to heroin who lived with me, like at the first time my bike got stolen out of, or he stole my bike out of the house. The next time, like I just started locking my bike in my room bedroom. Right. Yeah. Or like, or like the time you come home and like your friends are in your room, smoking your bag of weed and it's all gone. You come home from third period at college. You're like, dude, they're like, sorry. As they take the last hit, I just hide my weed somewhere different. I don't put that. If I'm four years into a relationship with with you, Eddie, and we've been going surfing every day, and then I find out you took twenty dollars out of my console, I mean, it's on you. I'll confront you. I'll be like, Eddie, dude, don't take money out of my fucking that twenty bucks out of my console. Yeah, and like, we'll I, talk it out. But I will not fucking end a friendship. Like, I it just I, it's on the other person. They're the one who did the bad thing. Why do I have to react to it? Well, I think I think in the situation with Jim is I had ended our friendship over him being, in my opinion, a bad person. Right, right. And I, I agree. There's like unhealthy people you have to get distance from. So I think he embellished this story and made himself look like the victim uh, to excuse his behavior of why we no longer had a friendship rather than take responsibility and say, you know, I was a piece of shit, daddy. That's why we're not friends. He right. looked and I saw him do that in our relationship all, which was like, this is why I can't be friends with you. You're constantly playing the victim. And it's like, Oh, poor Jim, poor Jim, poor Jim. Instead of owning up to it and going, why aren't we friends? Cause I was a shitty person. You know, and uh, right. and I didn't stand by my friend. I wasn't a loyal friend, and I did some shitty stuff to him and to his wife. To so, uh, that's that's why he made up that story, and it was just it was like a shock to me, which had happened earlier on in our relationship, which was like the the start of everything, where we had this like <laughs> one night he just got drunk and obnoxious and did some stuff to my wife, and the next day he's like, was I? 
I'm like, yeah, you owe an apology. He's like, okay. So then he apologized to her and we were all supposed to go to, on vacation. And he's like, so when are we leaving? I'm like, well, we're not. He's like, what do you mean? We're not going? We're like, no, you're not going. I'm like, you know, we're all going and you're not coming anymore because of what you did. And he's like, but I apologized. And I was like, yeah, doesn't mean she has to accept your apology. Right, right, right. Like, Give her some space and maybe he did was pretty bad and, you know, give her your space. Cut to yeah. we all go on vacation and I'm getting texts from him. Fuck you. Fuck you and your girlfriend. Your fucking piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, yes. You, he's saying you ruined. <laughs> yeah. You yes. ruined my weekend. Now, there it is again. Of course, I can't be friends with you. If you ask a girl out and she says no, and your response is, you dumb cunt, the girl made the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. If that's how you react when someone puts you under a little bit of stress, then, then, then they made the right decision. If a girl says no to you or a friend gets upset with you and you want to rekindle the relationship, don't throw a temper tantrum because they didn't believe your insincere apology give it a week buy them some flowers clean their dishes like make it try to make a further step for amends if you if you want the relationship but if you want your character to true character to show do that dumb shit start throwing a temper tantrum dude these are three-year-olds these are three-year-olds buddy if someone honks at me and i wave at them i say sorry i don't flip you off yep. i'm so fucking 49 now so, so, like I have emotional, I can see my emotion. Even if I want to flip you off, I don't. So what happened was he went on that podcast, which has like, he went yeah, podcast, which I'm really surprised too. I, I, is it really that good of a podcast? Yeah, Bert's Bert's a great guy, and Bert has a very big audience. And Bert didn't mean to start that, so that was sad. And I was like, oh my god! And he had done it on Doctor Mutually Friends with Doctor Drew, and he so he'd done it twice. I was like, all right. So I started texting with him going, do you know what you just, you just went on this podcast and accused me of being a thief. And so I kind of went back at him about all the things I knew about him, like going, I could say this, I could say this, I could say that. And I talked to a couple comedians that I respect and I said, you know, what should I do? And one of them's like, you need to go to war. The public will love this, blah, 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 defend yourself. And one person was like, you need to sue him for slander. That's slander. You know, and he's going to hurt your, your business. He's, he's, you know, it's obvious he's lying. It's so obvious he's lying. So, so it's funny. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, who I work with, who's, uh, Tommy Chong's son, uh, and I've worked with him. He's produced Tommy shows and stuff. He heard it and called me and was like, Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. So I was, you know, I was really upset that day. Like I remember storming around on my deck all day long, just like, I can't believe this just happened. And I was about to like go to war with him. And I was like, this is going to be get ugly. It's going to get into like the news. It's going to, you know, like the comedy news. And that's what the time and Tommy Chong. And oh, uh, that's cool. I've worked with Tommy on a number of shows and he's a great person. And Tommy went, Hey man, bigger man so you gotta just wish him well and let him move on with his life and uh you know and you just gotta just be the bigger man and i agree i sat there and thought about it and i thought about my mom and dad and everything they instilled in me and i was like granted this could maybe help 
being something people would pay attention blah 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 and he kind of likes this shit but i'm like it's not who i am this is not me uh and i'm gonna be the bigger man and i'm just gonna let it go we he and i both and i know the truth down deep you know it's gonna let this go and it sucks on the internet and everyone's all put something on the internet comment below be like you fucking thief why don't you pay jim jeffries and i'm like oh my god it never and it, we had <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking hilarious countless texts back and forth you know like we put it this way we may i i basically said to him <laughs> this needs to stop because you know that i know like the truth and it's so obvious the guy has no idea what he's talking about. Like, I've only spoken to you a couple times. I've never spoken to him, and I just came across that video and watched it, and the dude's just a complete D-bag. I mean, a complete D-bag. Everything out of his mouth is... is. And and, and, and it, I know Bert's your friend, but Bert, Bert just went along with it, too. Like, Bert, I, Bert should have fucking kicked him in his teeth, like, stopped him, like... Like if I was saying something stupid, like when I said something earlier about talent or something, I can't remember. You're like, well, I'll push back there. And we talked and like Bert should have pushed back a little bit. I mean, that guy's just saying stupid shit unless that's his whole shtick with this show, like just to give people enough rope to hang themselves. But man, I, I, I was, uh, I, I felt dirtier for watching that video with him and Bert. Like I was like, damn, why did I watch that? I was really hurt by that. Like I just, it's like someone calling you a rapist, you know, when you didn't ever do anything like that god forbid and god forbid i don't want to be called a rapist a racist or a pedophile yeah and but thief is and that and by the way that's the liberal play card by the way right there if you want to know how liberals operate that's exactly how they operate they just threaten and, and i used to be one so i know i the, heard a guy on joe rogan say something that makes so much sense though i forget who this guy was he's a writer british guy and and it i've used it now and it works really well um just call someone a racist anytime they offend you and they freak out. You racist. When someone accuses you of something you are not. Yes. Accuse them of something they are not. Right. So if somebody goes, you're a racist. You <laughs> That's go, not taking Tommy Chong's advice. You go, you're a pedophile. Yes. Yes. And they're like, no, I'm not. a, am not a pedophile. And you go, well, I'm not a racist. And they go, you know, you're a racist. This is right. And go, your behavior is uh, you act like a pedophile. If you start hammering them the way they are hammering you and bullying you using whatever social media means. Yes. That, yes. You're using yours back to them. All of a sudden they go, wow, this is rude. And I, I need to stop bullying people. Not right to do when they're clearly not a racist. Because I knew it would hurt them. And I knew that I had power in doing it. Wow. They have power too. Um, hey, someone did that to me. Excuse me, let me finish one this comedian, Please, yes. Mine. It's Kyle Dunnigan. And um, go to Kyle Dunnigan's Instagram. He and Kurt Metzger crucified for... Uh, worked on the Amy Schumer show, and he said that lynch mobs should not be able to call out comics and get them fired for... Go through due process, because vilifies someone who who is innocent, I think rape and sexual assault and all these things are wrong or you should go through due process. And then he became a rape apologist and all this stuff and they went after him. But anyway, Kurt, he 
Amy Schumer show and blah, blah, blah. Kurt does a show with Kyle on, <clears throat> on Kyle's Instagram called Pussies. And it's a show about women. And it's these two beta males who talk like they review movies and they'll talk about like the Empire Strikes Back and how, oh, look, here come the as they are the Ku Klux Klan. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there there's Luke getting his hand cut off, which is also. Excuse me. But it's so fucking funny. It is so funny. But Kurt said, "Do you have COVID? Do you have COVID?" Hopefully. Um, okay. Kurt said, "Way he heard this from another comic. The only way you stop this bullshit is by throwing it back in their face. And the more you make fun of it, the more they realize how stupid they sound." Well, they also they all cannibalize each other. That's the one good thing about yeah, that. They, they'll eat each other. They have no loyalty to each other. They'll just eat each other. One no, minute. It's not, it's not, um, uh, what do they, what do they call that? Uh, uh signaling. What's the what's virtue the signaling. It's not really virtue signaling or, or being virtuous. It's opportunism. Right. What I've seen in my world, which is comedy where cancel culture has been like incredible. I mean, it's, it's raging. It's, it's rampant. I mean, there are people that do it as a sport in my business where they will just seek out people and try to have them canceled because they feel like they deserve it. It's all opportunism. It's all. How, how can this give me a platform and how can I bring someone else down so that I can move up the ladder <clears throat> instead of, you know, like something wrong. Someone's complaining that your volume's too low. Hey, you know what I did? I it turned my volume down. What do you think about that, guys? That's the common. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was better. How'd you do that? Wow. Okay. Shit. What what kind of board do you have there? I'm using the. Uh... Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. The and, then, and, that, that, and then that's just the camera on your on your computer. Yeah, but I'm it's Amazon. I'm doing a whole new setup. Oh, cool! I can't wait to see it. Yeah, Are you can take a picture of it and put it on your Instagram. I don't. I'm not a oh. like. I I always want the best, but I hate it. Like I I'd rather walk in a room and sit down and start talking, but I I micromanage and I'm like I got to get this shit because it's got, but I then look. Like I don't, I don't like possessions. I don't like technical shit. I don't like camera equipment, and I, I like love all that stuff. I'm such a geek. I like having good stuff. Like I like it to work well and look professional, and and when it doesn't, I'm, which I have bad, and so I'm like spending a lot of money and making. Um, just because I think you know the kind of how you do anything is how you do everything, and if you're podcast looks like shit it probably is shit <laughs> oh uh-oh well i'm working on improving i started with the, the i set the bar really low so that i can improve every day well it's a learning i mean there's a learning curve to it there is so much to learn is this kind of figure it all out on your own 
Yes. And no one wants to share. No. Um, I, I'm, I have to go to the skate park. So do I. Are you really? Yeah. With your yeah. kids? Yeah, I take the kids. Uh, I go probably like three days a week now. Oh, wow. That's a trip. We're both going to the skate park. Yeah. Yeah, the little one, the two-year-old's loving it. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to go and... Um, How good are you your kids, Kenny? Oh, boy. You want to know something crazy, so I'll just tell a story real quick. So he's had, he, one of my kids has been skateboarding every day now for over a year. Hasn't, hasn't missed a day. And I bought a $10,000 skate ramp and put it in the front yard, and he I just skates that. his ass off on it. And um, so he has had a skateboard instructor one day a week for like the last six months. And the guy's awesome. I love him. But the other day I went over the hill, which is basically, you know, where into Silicon Valley, it's like Mm -hmm. north of my house by 20 miles. It's where it's, there's more money than God there. I know people think they live in these really rich areas, yeah. but like, but this place is nuts. So basically I go to this skate park in, in, um, in Sunnyvale, California. I was supposed to be be performing in Sunnyvale in three weeks at Rooster Tea Feathers, but, uh, what is in my throat? come cock and balls um um so basically there was a skate pro there a a professional skater and it took me like four months and i got a a class with him for my kid and in that fucking one hour my kid just like it was nuts and he basically said yeah and i go hey but i love my other skate coach he goes yeah there's just a difference i'm a fucking professional skater and like he just tweaked he just he just worked with my kid for like an probably an hour it was up i think it was 80 or 100 bucks and the guy's name is josh he's got a big youtube channel i forget his name but anyway it was nuts you get what you pay for and so like my kid just and and, and so like right now we're going to go back to his old skateboarding coach today who charges half as much charges 50 dollars an hour and i'm curious if he's going to see the difference in the one hour my kid did with this pro skater and it's not a dig there's just this this other guy's a professional musician who teach a skateboarding lessons on the side and this other guy's a pro skater how old your son six and what um what kind of stuff no um he doesn't really do any tricks he just he's really proficient at skating right going so ramp like up and down the ramp drop in um he just started doing tail stalls he does 50 50s oh cool um he just did his first like vertical drop in. He can do a lot of big drop ins, but this one, you know, the vertical ones where the top like it's like a ten or twelve foot drop in, and there's like two feet of just vert at the top. Oh, so dropping off the vert, he wasn't a roll on. Yeah, he finally, yeah, he finally dropped in, in into one that was a vert. Wow. Um, Let me ask he, you: Were, were you yes. a skater at all? No, 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 no. I can't skateboard at all. At so zero. Did, where did this come from? That did them to skate? So I. I'm just the classic, like I, I like I, I want comedians and fighters on my show mm-hmm. because like I've always I wished I was funny and I wish I could fight. I my kids my kids play tennis and they're really good at tennis and not because I wanted to play tennis because it was the only thing it was one of the only activities in the area where they didn't require masks. My kids will never wear a mask, <laughs> never ever ever ever. Um, and skateboarding they didn't rec- skateboarding we just i wanted them to skate and we had a skateboard in the entryway and he would never skate and then at five and a half he goes i'm gonna never been on a skateboard before he goes i'm gonna skate every day for a year wow and i told him i said i'll give buy you ice cream every hundred days if you consecutive days you skate and on the 365th day i'll let you throw an ice cream party which is just crazy because i don't do that shit for my kids yeah, yeah. 
and he did it and he made it a year the first hundred days were so slow dude oh, eddie they were so slow eddie and uh and now he's just a shredder like he's got that's awesome yeah Such and same with jujitsu like they do jujitsu because <clears throat> i'd be i don't want to i'd be terrified to roll around on a mat with a guy yeah. who's trying to choke me out and yeah yet, so my kids have to do it they have to face hey, my fears. Yeah. I know you got to go, but let me ask you this. Josh Bridges, is he going to win his boxing match? He, oh, he's going to fuck Jacob Hepner up. I think so, too. I was watching both of them, uh-huh. and I'm having uh, Tony Jeffries on my show, uh, I think. And uh, uh, Tony Jeffries? Who's Tony Jeffries? Boxing burn. He is a silver medalist in boxing in the Olympics. Uh, oh, really, I'm gonna try to schedule Brit- him for my podcast on Tuesday. British guy, and okay. I'm gonna have him on, and I want to talk to him about them. They deserved, and just my humble opinion, boxing that well, uh, better. Josh looks better at, so I would bet my money on Josh. Um, Jacob's I- bigger and maybe more athletic. Hunter McIntyre is very butthurt, and I don't want to start. He wanted to fight so badly in that. Talked to him about it, and he said that uh, some of the guys fighting, like because he's you know such a trouble. And he's probably such a good athlete. Oh, he should do it. Have you ever interviewed him? I should interview him. I have Hunter on. Like he's on almost every week on my show because. Friends and he lives near me, and we um, get into too much trouble together. Will you, um, will you Hunter's one of the funniest. Will you say something nice about me to him? Sure, sure. He'll do your podcast. To him? If I'll call him right after this, he'll say he'll do it. Um, you know who you should have on is Devin Lorette. I want. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. I want Glassman too. Soon, he'll. he'll he, I think soon is soon. Very soon, January one, the floodgates are going to open. Is Devin the guy that that bear crawled across? Devin's the guy fighting Thor. Oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, strong man. Yes, you should DM him. He's a professional arm wrestler. He was JTF two. He's basically one of the. He's basically Canada's most elite fighting. He was on Canada's most elite fighting force. Basically, Canada's SEAL Team Six, and he's a legend in that community also. And and he's also a professional arm wrestler, and he's a great guy with an amazing sense of humor. You is would he, love is him. Is he fighting Eddie Hall? He's fighting Thor, the mountain. Oh. He's replacing Eddie Hall. Oh, Eddie Hall's not fighting? No, you're like me. Yeah, I like it how you don't even know about any of that stuff up there. I didn't even know who Eddie Hall was. People are like, I cannot believe you don't know who Eddie Hall is. I knew Eddie I'm Hall like, because he did, he did Grace or Isabel or some like broke the record so easily without – which I – I love CrossFit, but I love to see like something yes, like happen. Me too. I me love too. I love that too. Where CrossFitters think they're amazing at something. And, that, and that's why I loved Hunter. And I love that Glassman invited Castro, who I like now, did not like it. And I, I didn't like it, it that Greg did that either. I thought it was hysterical and I pushed it so hard because I still contend that Hunter is one of the fittest people in the world. And I can argue that. Till the cows come home, but um, he is—he is, he is a, definitely. He's a freak of nature, and yes. I don't want to get into it because you got to go to. But like, my argument is that like, Glassman's definition of fitness is Glassman's definition of fitness, but that is Glassman's definition of fitness. When uh, 
there is so much skill to it. Like when I, I always like CrossFit events where they give them weird before or like the wheelbarrow and the sandbags thing that they could have trained for, but not trained to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yep. the unknowing stuff. I love me too. Hunter, if you had a whole bunch of those events, I think Hunter could be not, maybe not win, but up there in the top. Um, the fact that he can't handstand walk is, might not have that skill but if you throw right right never done right he'll win how how how, how much does he weigh uh, he's up he's going to try to break the world record in the uh in the Clydesdale marathon so he's got to break 230 in the marathon he just did the other day did a 500 pound deadlift in a 5 minute like people have been doing that and he just did it like that uh wow didn't even think about it. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. The impressive one, though, is the uh, also is the, I think Adam Klink did the back squat. The back squat's impressive. And I said to Hunter, why don't you do that? And he goes, because I can't squat 500. And I was like, well, you got something to work at. <laughs> yeah, that shit's crazy. Hey, I, if he could make, a, can he drop down to 180? Can that dude weigh 180, 175? He probably was that CrossFit. My wife's hanging on the door. He, he, he should cut down to 175 and fight Josh. If he, if Josh wins this fight, I'm sure he'll be on the next card in March. I don't think Josh. He, dropped, wants, uh, he he said Josh doesn't want to fight him. Or was. Oh shit! I don't think Josh. That will. cannot be. That cannot be true. I, I don't. I don't think. Do I not say Josh, that about my friend Josh. No, I love Josh. I don't think Josh likes him because he tried to contact Josh through. I, he you know he broke the Murph world record. Um. Hunter did? Yeah. And he made a big deal about it. And Josh was like, hey, this is not about that. This is about memorializing, you know, a, a man and serviceman, that, which I understand. And I even said to Hunter, I said, if you're going to do this, you do this for charity and you do it. And he's like, I will, I will, I will. I was like, you know, it's, it's, we all, you know, the whole idea of a community of people do this to remember the guys that, you know, risk their lives for us and have died in service for us. And you're out there you know, just trying to bust the record. And I think Josh had the record before uh, Hunter, but apparently uh, kind of by two seconds or something. But, uh, you know, Hunter, he, he puts his mind to something, he can do it. So I don't know. Ask Josh if he'll fight him. <laughs> I mean, it, and it, it's not fair. Hunter, is a, he's 6'2", the reach. I wouldn't fight him if I was Josh. I, it's not a fair fight. Reach. I can't wait to have Hunter. I can't wait to have Hunter on my show. End stream. End stream. Yeah, end. I I talk too much. Dude. I can't believe you came on my show. I love hours. There's a few people I like talking to. You're one of them. Oh, thank you. That was great. Um, I'm gonna run. I have to drop a deuce and we're not live anymore. And sorry, I'm not um, I'll serve out. <clears throat> I know that's uh, my, my first that. cancellation. Do you want to do another show sometime? Doing your show. Okay, you, you forever. You the man. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Yep. Later. Bye.